Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, please do find the Bible reading that is on the end of your row. Please do pass it down if you are the person on the end of the row. We're going to read some scripture together. I shall pray, and then I'm bringing the word. Right, let's read this together. This is from the book of 2 Corinthians, which sounds very American. 2 Corinthians. I hope you have a copy. Let's read together. This is Paul writing. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why don't we pray together as we begin? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for ultimately for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And I pray today that as I speak, that you would lift up the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you give us hearts and ears that are open to hear what you're saying. We ask that you would transform us more and more from ever-increasing glory to glory into your image, that we might live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Well, it's very good to see you this morning. My name is Tim, and I'm on the staff team here. And throughout my life, I've had the chance to represent many fine institutions on the sporting field. I've represented three different schools at hockey, cricket, and rugby. And um, I represented my university on the hockey pitch, which gets far more surprise than I think is necessary from people when I tell them that story. What I often leave out is that I played for the fifth team you know, of five. So the standard wasn't exactly great but I was very proud to wear my team colors and to go out on the pitch. But another very proud moment of my life was representing my uh, primary school on the chess team. Yes, the chess team. And I got to wear this lovely, very fetching green jumper. And I got to do battle (laughs) with some equally nerdy people. Now, I was searching for a photo of this uh, chess jumper, and I couldn't find it, but I did find this fantastic image. This is me. I must be aged six or seven. And around this time, I got to wear my school colors. But also, if you notice on the lapel of my jacket, and can we just say that fringe is really great, and maybe I should bring it back. Um, Someone else, I said I look stoned in this photo, which wouldn't... Anyway, if you can see, there's two bits of color on my jacket. And those are two, not just one, but two Jesus lapel pins, which I was very proud to wear. And I had become a Christian not that long before, and I had asked my mum, mum, you know, I want to have a Jesus pin. I want to represent Jesus. 
And um, I have to say, before you start thinking that I'm obviously very holy, even as a child, I would stop wearing those pins very shortly after I put them on the jacket because there was a girl that I liked and Jesus' pins weren't very cool. So I took them off. But never mind. I wanted to represent Jesus. I wanted to have his name on my blazer. But in our passage today that we've just read, Paul says this incredible thing. He says, we all represent Jesus, whoever we are. When you become a Christian, we become the people who share God and his amazing love to the world. Read with me. It's on the sheets. Verse 20. We are therefore, he says, Christ's ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And next week coming up has just been shared. We have Tri-Church Sunday. And we have the Alpha Course starting just after that. And I hope today is an encouragement and a prompting to invite those we know to come. Or maybe to attend yourself. Maybe there's someone. Who's God placed in your life for you to ask to come to Alpha? Who, who are you having conversations with about God that actually reached a certain point? And it's like, okay, I think you should now do Alpha. Who are you going to have the bravery to ask to try church Sunday? But what struck me as I was reading this passage is that when Paul says we are Christ's ambassadors, he doesn't just say you become Christ's ambassadors when you do certain things like tell people about Jesus or invite someone to church or wear a nerdy little pin on your blazer. You see, as a Christian, even as a seven-year-old, I was an ambassador for Jesus whether I was wearing a pin or not. And this is true for us. Whatever we do, we are therefore, Paul says, Christ's ambassadors. Isn't that remarkable? He says this outrageous claim. Read with me again in verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Remarkable. The God of all the universe sharing his message, crying out to people through us, through what we say and what we do. And this, Scripture says, is who we are. So if, HCC, we are Christ's ambassadors, how are we to live? That's what we're going to consider today. What's our motivation? What's our message? What is our ministry? That's what we'll consider. So firstly, what's our motivation? What drives us? What compels us to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, representatives for him? Because motivation is a funny thing, isn't it? There are some of us, you know, we'll share certain motivations, certain drives, certain desires for warmth, for food, very much so in my case, for sleep, or not. There are some of us who are morning people, and there are some of us who are evening people. I very much, I'm in the second camp, you know, give me as many hours in bed as is possible. What time did I wake up this morning? 9.30. Lovely. But there are some of you here, you're like, goodness me, I couldn't do that. Uh, if, you're, if you'd say you're a self-confessed morning person, do you want to pop your hand up, morning person? Mm. Look at them. So smug. Oh, I love getting up in the morning. It's the best time of the day. I'm just so productive. It's wonderful. Whatever. No, it's fine. That's just a joke. We're all different. We're all different. So I'll go my way. You go your way, and I'll go God's. It's fine. That's a joke. Different things motivate us. That's the point. Different things motivate us. Different stages of life bring different motivations. Kids, family, work, school, all the stuff. But Paul says, if you're a Christian, we are to be motivated by the same thing. We are to be driven by the same thing. Read with me in verse 15. And he, that is Jesus, died for all, 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We don't live for ourselves, but we live for God. This is our motivation, God. Why? Well, the the idea in my head is very simple. Paul puts it like this, basically. God died for us, and therefore, we live for him. In In the light of all that God has done for us, we live for him. God died for us, and therefore, we live for him. That's what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And this has some distinct implications that Paul continues to flesh out in this passage. The first thing Paul talks about is a fear of God. Something that motivates us, a fear of God. In verse 10, that comes just before our reading, Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's why he goes on to say, and you can read to me in our passage in verse 11, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. So he says, everyone is going to be judged for everything they do. All peoples of all time will be held accountable for everything they've ever said or done before the judgment seat of the Lord. So he says, we know what it is to fear men. So goodness me, he says, I want my own, react, my own actions, my own things that I say and do to be in light uh, and in line with God's glory and grace. But then also, because we know what it is to fear God, we want to lead others to fear God because they too will be held accountable for what they have said and done. We know what it is to fear the Lord, he says. And the fear of God here means a right perspective about him. We can, it can be a bit confusing in Scripture because we know, don't we, that perfect love casts out fear. But having the fear of the Lord is a very biblical thing, and it essentially means having a right understanding, a right perspective of his awesome power, majesty, grace, holiness. What's the most common thing when people meet the Lord in Scripture that is said to them, whether it's an angel or God himself? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because God is awesome in the true sense of that word. And a right understanding of the fear of God is something we actually must all grow in and learn and be motivated by. Actually understanding that not all people fear God, but we'd love to lead them to do so. So that's the motivation, the fear of God. Secondly, Paul talks about a total lack of self-interest. A total lack of self-interest. Verse 13, read with me. Really interesting. I quite find it quite funny. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. Maybe spouses, husbands, wives, you can try this to each other. Darling, I'm not out of my mind. It's for the Lord. If we're out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. Can you see his two concerns? That God be glorified in his ministry and that Christians be edified. Certainly not himself. He says, if I'm considered crazy, it's because I want, I'm doing what God wants me to do. If I'm doing something that seems uh, right, it is for you. But it certainly was never his own concern. Throughout this letter, which we've just taken a passage of, Paul talks about his own ministry. And continually, he's trying to say, look, what I'm doing is not for me. I'm not trying to commend myself or promote myself. He has a total lack of self-interest. And it's something that marks out the person who represents Jesus. Because you're not motivated by your own promotion or your own glory or your own success. Instead, it's motivated by God's glory and success in Jesus Christ. It's interesting to think 
Our value as individuals isn't based on what other people think, yet so often, aren't we, we are driven by fear of what other people think of us. And actually, part of Christian maturity, part of representing Jesus, means growing in not fearing what people think. But instead, can you see the difference? Fearing the Lord. So the fear of God, a total lack of self-interest. And then also, Paul talks about seeing people from God's point of view. Seeing people from God's point of view. Verse 16 says this. So from now on, which means in light of everything that God has done, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Verse 15. Why does he say this? He says, and he died for all. He talks about Jesus died for all. So part of not having a worldly perspective is meaning that everyone we come into contact is a dear child of God, created by him, loved by him, and loved so much that God would send his only son to die for them. So seeing people not from a worldly perspective, but from a heavenly perspective, from a godly perspective, is seeing them as dearly loved by God. That means that your irritating boss, that means that your difficult co-worker, that means that sibling that you have that tricky relationship with, that means your flatmate who is infuriating and leaves little notes, or maybe you do, whoever they are, they are dearly loved by God. So how might that, as we think about that, how might that change how we act? How might that change how we speak? How might that change how generous we are? How forgiving we are? It should change everything. Because we don't see people from a worldly perspective, but from a heavenly perspective, dearly loved by God. Now that's an implication of this, but it also have a, a, this has a strong meaning for us, which I want to draw out for us here. Because verse 14, read with me, says this. For Christ's love compels us, Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Now, I found this slightly confusing when I read it, because in my head, Christ died, one died for all, and therefore all died. That sounds to me like everyone died when Christ died, which doesn't really make any sense. But it does, it's just to do with the tense thing. Some other translations will say, we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all were dead. So Paul and Timothy's logic is this. If Jesus had to die for everyone, that means that everybody spiritually was dead. If Jesus had to die, that means everybody was dead. So part of what it is to have a heavenly and not worldly perspective is to realize that unless people hear and receive the good news of Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking, they are dead. This means unable to save themselves. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5. He says, before you met Jesus, basically, you were dead in your sins and transgressions, powerless, destined to receive the wages of sin, which is death. Now, this is quite hard, isn't it? Because there are people that we know and are praying for that don't yet know God. Family members, friends, the real pain comes maybe when we have lost loved ones and we're unsure about their ultimate destination. But what Paul says is, but when we have a heavenly and not worldly perspective, is that we see everyone as spiritually dead until they've met Jesus. We no longer see anyone from a worldly point of view. But we hold those two things together, don't we? Dearly loved by God. Because, and Christ died for them, because actually, unless they receive him, they are spiritually dead. This is part of what it means to be motivated as an ambassador, as a representative of Jesus is to be compelled by the fact that the lost need to hear and receive the saving good news of Jesus Christ. That is what drives us. That is what motivates us. Because God died for us, we live for him. But the good news, 
What's the good news that I've just said that they need to hear and receive? Because Paul says this in verse 19, and he, that is God, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We've considered our message, but Paul says, but we've considered our motivation, but Paul says we've been given a message. Do you know that we have a message of incredible hope? We've just come off the week of Easter where we've celebrated the risen Christ. This has amazing implications for our lives. And are you aware that the the few words that you might share that tells that story, maybe if you tell your testimony, if you say what God has done for you and for all people who believe in him, that is the power to change the world. I see three amazing things in our passage about that message. Firstly is this, there is a promise of new life. If it helps you, regeneration, if you want the technical term. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. My version of the NIV would say, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. This is a message of hope. Whatever you are, whoever you are, whatever you've done, come to Jesus to be made totally new. Whatever you regret, come be forgiven. Whatever you've done, come have your slate wiped clean. Whatever you mourn, come find joy. Whatever you're worried about, come find peace. Whatever is broken in you, come find healing and wholeness. Whatever you are searching for, come find satisfaction. This is the Christian message. Come and find the very thing that you were made for that you didn't even know, that has been set in you, God has set eternity in your heart. This is the thing that your friends and family and colleagues are dying to hear, and they don't even know it. That in Jesus is the promise of new life. This is the Christian message. This is the Christian hope. That God has come, and therefore, for all who will believe, the old has gone and the new is here. Why? Because Paul says we can have reconciliation. We can have peace with God. That's what he means by the message of reconciliation. Paul says that in our natural state, we're separated from God. This is what the Scripture points to. In our natural state, we're separated from God. Ephesians just talks about a dividing wall. Imagine there was a wall that separated this church in two. And on one side, in our natural state, we are here, and God is on the other side, and we are separated. But Paul says we, have, we can have peace with God because God has broken down that wall. And therefore, we can know forgiveness, and specifically righteousness. Verse 21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if you ever want a short summary of the gospel, that is it. God made him who had no sin to be sin, to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness means right standing. It means being seen in the perfection of Jesus Christ. So that as soon as you give your yes to God, he sees you as he sees his son. Righteous, clean, pure, holy. Amazing. This is our message. There's three R's. Regeneration, reconciliation, righteousness, which will help some of us. New life, peace with God, freedom, blamelessness, righteousness. This is what we proclaim. This is the message that God has committed to us. In fact, it might actually be our ministry, Paul says. Verse 18. All this is from God who committed us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us, not just the professional, 
but all of us. Because it's tricky, isn't it? When we heard the word ministry, we can often think of the profession. We think of the job. We think of the person with the dog collar. I wonder if you've heard the story of um, the mum who knocked on her son's door one Sunday morning and said, get up, sweetie. It's time to go to church. And the son responds, mum, I don't want to go to church. Just let me sleep. Yeah, clearly wasn't a uh, morning person. But the mum replies, I don't care what you want. Get yourself out of bed. Get it dressed. Go to church. But he replies, Mum, I don't want to go. Those people down there, they don't like me, and I don't like them. I was there the other day, and they, I heard them saying things, and they were saying lots of mean things about me. I don't want to go. Don't make me go to church. And the mum replies, I don't care about that. Get yourself up. You're going. The boy responds, But Mum, why? And the mum replies, Two reasons. Firstly, you're 45 years old. And secondly, you're the vicar. It is your job to go. It's a generous clap. It's not that good a joke. (laughs) When we hear the word ministry, we can think job. We can think profession. And that, for some of us, is right. In fact, as I was preparing today, I was stirred that actually, for some of us here, God is calling you to full-time ministry. He's called you to actually maybe even ordination in the Church of England. But actually, Paul says to all of us, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. His logic is, um, you can read with me in verse 17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. And he continues, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself. So all those who are new creations have been reconciled to God. And he continues, that same us are the people to whom have been given the ministry of reconciliation. He means all of us not just the professional. What does that ministry look like? This passage is a few things, and basically all centers on the idea about speaking the good news of Jesus Christ. Firstly, it means to speak persuasively. Verse 11, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. We try to convince them. We have words to say. We have arguments. We've done our research. We don't think we know everything, but we try to persuade them. Secondly, we speak faithfully. Verse 19, he says, he has committed to us. Other translations say, God has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. So God has entrusted something to us, and we want to faithfully share that with people. Verse 20, we want to speak boldly. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal. It's God's message that we carry. It's not our own words. It's the appeal of God. So we speak that boldly. We continue, we speak passionately, as I want to do, even on a stage. We implore you, he says, be reconciled to God. We implore you. He's passionate. Finally, speak urgently. Remember, we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. All were dead. There is an urgency to the gospel, because all must hear it, and all must receive it. What does this look like in your day-to-day life? Two things I would suggest. Firstly, pray for opportunities to talk about God. And secondly, take those opportunities when you get them. You'll be surprised at what comes up. The greatest opportunity I've had to share my faith has been with a guy who cuts my hair. I'm due to see him again soon. We've had some fascinating conversations. It should take about 20 minutes to cut my hair. Generally, it takes about an hour because we just talk about life. And it's really interesting. Some of the ways I live my life just provoke questions in him. Firstly, he's fascinated that I would be training to be a vicar at age 28. That sort of blows his mind. 
But the thing that really gets to him is the fact that I'm choosing to not to have sex until I get married. I never thought I'd talk so much about my lack of sex life in a barber's chair, surrounded by other people. <laughs> this has prompted questions in him, because he's basically like, how on earth have you chosen to do that? And I've had the chance just to share my story, just to share what Jesus has done. This is why I believe what I believe. And the other day, he said something amazing. We're sort of talking about this again, because it kind of always comes back to it somehow. So you're sort of still not. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> We came back to it, and he said something like, so really it sounds like we could never be good enough to save ourselves, and only God could be good enough to save us. I was like, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Now, it's funny, because he doesn't say he's a Christian. He doesn't say he's a Christian, and he, he, every time he's always like, you know, Tim, me, I'm not religious. He might be closer than he thinks. And I pray for opportunities and I try to take them. And that's what I think we all need to do. Speaking persuasively, faithfully, boldly, passionately, urgently. We've been given a message and we've been given a ministry, Paul says. To share the good news about Jesus Christ. And there's a thing I have to say here, and I've said this before last year, so if you've heard this before, forgive me. We really like that phrase, don't we? Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Have you heard that phrase before? Meant to be attributed to St. Francis, who probably didn't say it. Preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. And we like that phrase because it speaks about integrity, doesn't it? And as I speak about being an ambassador today, I'm basically speaking about speaking. I'm talking about what we say. And a good reaction to this is go, well, isn't it, of course, about how we live? Yes, of course it is. Of course it is. We see people as dearly loved by God, so that means we love people. But that statement, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, misunderstands what the gospel is. The gospel is good news about what God has done. So as I say, we need to speak about it. I'm not trying to separate acts of mercy and love and justice from speaking about Jesus. But what I say is that people must hear and respond to the good news. What did the first disciples do on Easter Sunday? He is risen. They declared a message. God has done something. God has done something. Verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God has done something. God was reconciling, not counting anyone's sins against them. Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our Christian message is one of love that we must demonstrate. Remember, because we see people as dearly loved by God, even when they're especially infuriating or whatever it is. But actually, the gospel is a message that people must hear and respond to because it is the truth about what God has done in Jesus Christ. So it should be preach the gospel, and since it's always necessary, use words. This is what it means to be an ambassador for Jesus. People who have been given, who have a motivation, people who have a message, people who have a ministry of sharing Jesus, of speaking Jesus, of sharing the good news, of sharing hope. So next week on Tri Church Sunday, who are you going to invite? Maybe for the 10th time. I found that people come to church, possibly only about invited them about 10 times. Because all the other times they might say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it comes to the Sunday. And then for whatever reason, generally very innocent, they can't come. Who are you going to invite to Alpha? Who are you having those conversations with? Who are you praying for to become a Christian? Because actually God has placed you and commissioned you and called you to share him with others. God says of all of us, 
We are ambassadors. We are his representatives. And he has entrusted us with his message and his mission. Now, I could end there, but I just want to say one more thing. And if Ben could just come up. Now, this, everyone, is Winston Brinley Hayes. And he's three weeks old, and he's a treasure. Ben, can I? Hello, little one. And we've, we've worked it out. The first thing Ben said, you know, when I asked him to do this is, what microphone are you going to use because you're not going to hold him with one hand? So I had to have the headset. What has Ben done here? He's just entrusted with me with the most precious thing in all the world to him. He's just given me something that is so precious to him. And in the same way, God entrusts us, frail and broken as though we are, with his message, with his hope, the thing that is most precious to him. God isn't willing that anyone should perish, but that all should have eternal life. And God has entrusted us with that precious message. But see, I don't want you to mishear me as I talk about being given a ministry and a message. You see, we don't go in strength, but we go in weakness. It's God's message, it's God's ministry, it's God's motivation. In fact, we are just like this squirming bundle of joy. We're weak, and we're frail, and we fail, and we mess up. And yet, amazingly, God chooses to use us. Though we are frail, though we are tiny, though we are insignificant, that's what God does. In fact, Paul talks about it. He says those famous words in the chapter before. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And it is the same thing. We have the message and ministry, but we have it in jars of clay. We have it in tiny, weak, frail, unremarkable little bodies. Because, of course, the message we share is that God became just like this. God became just this frail and just this weak and just this dependent. And like him, we go out in full dependence on God. Not on our own strength. Little Winston here is totally dependent on Ben and Jen for everything. Everything. And so it must be the same with us. We go in weakness, not strength, trusting and relying totally on God, just as Jesus did. This is what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus. A child of God. Loved, protected, commissioned, safe in the Father's arms. In reality, it's God's motivation. It's God's message. It's God's ministry. And he's entrusted it to us. So HTC, let's play our part in that message and ministry. Let's invite people. Let's pray for people. Let's invite them to Alpha. Let's tell them about Jesus. Let's do that together. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Lord, thank you, God. Thank you so much for all that you have done for us. Thank you that we have hope. Thank you that we have new life. Thank you that we have received your grace. Lord, I pray for any of us here today who wouldn't necessarily call ourselves a Christian. If you're hearing this today going, yeah, this actually isn't me, God, I pray that you would speak to them, and I pray that you would receive the good news of Jesus Christ even for the first time. But God, I pray that you would empower us. God, I pray that you would help us overcome any fear we have. God, I pray that you'd give us hope and confidence in your gospel, in the saving power of the story of all that you've done in the resurrected Jesus Christ. We give ourselves to you again.
Amen. Amen. Awesome. What we're going to do now is um, not respond in prayer ministry, though we could do that. The band are going to come up, and just for a song, I thought we should turn and pray with the people around us for those we don't know, for those we know that don't yet know God. So this might require some bravery. If you don't want to pray out loud, that's absolutely fine. Why don't we do it so that if, let's say, you're turning twos, you pray for the people you know. You don't need to say lots of explanations. You don't need to do that thing when you pray where you sort of explain prayer. (laughs) Just pray. Let's turn with the people we know. Maybe pray for your family. Maybe pray for your friends. And then we're going to stand and respond in song. So why don't you just turn in twos and threes? And if you don't want to do this, if you just need to sit out, that's absolutely fine. If you're visiting and you're spectating, please do that. But why don't we pray for those we know to become Christians? as the band play for us.